We just sang about being God's people, and after the sermon, we'll sing praise God for the body, and that ties in with what I'll be speaking on this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which deals with the Lord's Supper or communion, and sometimes it does us good to be reminded of why we do what we do, and we're, as we discuss 1 Corinthians 11 this morning and next Sunday, rather than trying to cram too much into one spot or one day, take two Sundays. Again, we need reminding at times of what the Lord's Supper is, how to prepare for it, what was taking place in the Corinthian church, and then just seek to make applications to our lives. But again, I would encourage you to keep in focus the body of Christ because that's what is involved in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for Christ. We're grateful for the body of Christ. We're grateful for your word. As we look at a portion of scripture this morning, we want to be attentive to what it is saying in context but also think about application in our lives. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. A couple thought questions, not looking for a response. Why may some people die prematurely in a local church? Why may some people in a local church be sick? What is the Lord's Supper? How does a believer partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner? What is the biblical method of preparing for the Lord's Supper? The believers in Corinth were abusing the Lord's Supper. Paul writes in order to rebuke them and teach them how to correct their sin. And as I study 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen through 34 I'm impressed with the very serious nature of Paul's rebuke his instruction, and his correction. The abuse of the Lord's Supper apparently is a grave sin since it resulted in physical death and physical sickness. Now, as we study Scripture, background is important. 1 Corinthians was written to the believers in Corinth by the Apostle Paul. And Paul had a twofold purpose in writing. His first purpose was to rebuke their sins, their sins of divisions, immorality, lawsuits between believers, loose living or licentiousness. Secondly, he's responding to some of their questions. Apparently he had some questions on marriage, meat offered to idols, his apostleship, God's judgment, spiritual gifts, the resurrection, and the collection for the saints. And the passage we're discussing falls into the second part of 1 Corinthians And it's one of the questions, and that is concerning God's judgment. And again, background is important. The conditions of the city of Corinth were very interesting. And an understanding of these conditions will aid in understanding some of the struggles that they faced. Corinth was a very wealthy city. It had a reputation for luxury. It was notorious for sexual licentiousness or loose living 
having no rival as a city of vice. To live like a Corinthian resulted in living a life of indecency, excessive indulgence, and sensual pleasure. The god of the city was Aphrodite, the goddess of love. Morris, a commentator on this passage of Scripture, says, and I quote, The ideal of the Corinthian was the reckless development of the individual. The merchant who made his gain by all and every means. The man of pleasure surrendering himself to every lust. The athlete steeled to every bodily exercise and proud in his physical strength. Are the two, are the true Corinthian types, end quote. In reality, the Corinthians recognized no superior and no law but his own desire. An understanding of the world's view of the people in Corinth helped us to grasp why believers in Corinth yielded to some sins such as divisions, accepting immorality, going before the unsaved judges. Paul desires to rebuke their sins, provide desire, provide desi- divine instruction, and then guide in how to live godly. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 34, we find that Paul addresses the abuse of the Lord's Supper in Corinth. And we find that he begins with a rebuke. In verses 17 through 22, he talks about hunger, drunkenness, quarreling. And he says, it's not the Lord's Supper you're eating. And then he gives them the pattern that was received, the received tradition, the Lord's Supper, in verses 23 through 26. And then in 27 through 34, he exhorts them to examine themselves, to judge yourselves, and to discern the body of the Lord. So a rebuke, a pattern, and correction. Reading together, 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry. Another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you, do, do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said... This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the blood or the body and blood of the Lord. 
A man ought to examine himself before he eats bread and drinks the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many among you, this is among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. For if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home. So that when you come together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give you further directions. As he rebukes in verses 17 through 22, we find that he addresses a number of things. And I realize the print may be a little small on this for some of you. But in verse 17, he says, I don't have any praise for you, at least in this area. He thanked God for them earlier. And he says there is a division. The church is divided. We'll come out on that briefly in a moment. There was quarreling. No doubt there has to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. And when they come together, he clearly says, it's not the Lord's Supper you're eating. For there's some that are hungry and others have had too much to drink. And then he raises a question. Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate humiliate those who have nothing? Church humiliation. He says, I have no praise. Now notice that he begins by saying, no praise. He ends with no praise. He talks about church division. He talks about church humiliation. He talks about quarreling, and that was related to people being hungry and some getting drunk. And then in the middle he says... It's really not the Lord's Supper you're eating. The historical background of a passage always enables a deeper understanding of a passage. And I think this paragraph is no exception. The Corinthian church was composed primarily of Gentiles who had no understanding of the Jewish Passover or its purpose. However, Paul had taught them when he was in Corinth, according to Acts 18 and verse 23. Remember, the Jewish Passover was a feast which Christ instituted in relation to the Lord's... The Jewish Passover was a feast that the Lord used to institute the Lord's Supper. Well over two-thirds of the population in Corinth were slaves. The believers in the local church included slaves who were very poor and members who were very wealthy. And again, give in to your desires and do your own thing was a philosophy that influenced the Corinthian believers. And that apparently had an impact when they came together as believers. But I want to encourage you that even though Paul is confronting a serious issue here, At the beginning of the book, he was still thankful for them. No, God working in them, and he's seeking to move them along in their walk with God. 
So again, I emphasize, Paul first of all says, I have no praise for you in verse 20. Then verse 17, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. And then at the end of these verses of 17 through 22, shall I praise you? Certainly not. So what's he say in verse 17? In the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. Encouragement and edification are part of the purpose of believers coming together as a local body. In Ephesians 4 and verse 15, instead of speaking the Scripture says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. In the context of believers gathering together, Paul says, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct. Rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Hebrews 10.25 says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And in the context of believers coming together, it's to be a time of encouragement and building up in their worship of the Lord. He says, your meetings do more harm than good. Your coming together does more harm than good. As the believers came together for the Lord's Supper, Apparently, the nature of their meeting was tearing down rather than building and encouraging. So Paul says, I have no praise for you. That is, no praise for you in this area of their lives. He goes on and he says and discusses the division. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, There are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. Now, the divisions that Paul is talking about here are not the same divisions back in chapter 1 and chapter 2. In chapter 1 and chapter 2, some were following Epidus, some were following Peter, some Apollos, and some Paul. Here, the division seems to be the early birds, the latecomers, the possessors of food, and the have-nots. They were social classes. The root cause of the division was that some were claiming to be better than others, not necessarily verbal, but in action. He says there's church division. He goes on in verse 19. No doubt there has to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. Now remember, as mentioned later on, we'll address next Sunday, some of them were sick and some had died in relation to their abuse of the Lord's Supper. So the Corinthians were professing unity as they come together, but they didn't display it in their relationships. Because Paul says, there are divisions. The rich, the poor, the haves, the have-nots, the early birds, the late-comers. 
So when you come together, he clearly says, it's not the Lord's Supper that you're eating. He doesn't beat around the problem. He clearly states it. You come together and you have a meal, but it's not the Lord's Supper. It's because the Lord's Supper involves oneness and unity. And that was not present. And again, we'll emphasize that more next week. And he explains some of the problem. Verses 21 in the first Verse 21 and the first part of verse 22. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. So apparently what was happening as you study the background was that the rich people in the church would come early. The slaves could not come early because they were not able to be home from work early. So the rich people would come early, they would eat, they would drink, apparently over-drink, they would get a little tipsy. And then the slaves would come, they were the haves not, and they wouldn't have anything to eat. Paul says, is not the Lord's Supper. Because the Lord's Supper involves a unity, a oneness. Because there's one body of Christ. So Paul says in 20, verse 22, don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Can't you eat at home? Bring your food? Wait for the slaves to come? Before you eat, before you drink. They had what you might call a love feast, but it didn't look like a love feast. They had a meal, and we have done that occasionally. You know, where you have a meal, and then in conjunction with the meal, you serve communion. That is apparently what was happening here. So there was humiliation taking place. Is found in 22b. Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? So it'd be like the corn roast this afternoon. We eat at 5 o'clock and we know that there's some people who won't get there till 6. So we eat, we pick everything down. The people that get there at 6 don't have any food to bring and we say, oh, too bad, you're hungry, tough. And then we're going to have communion. Stating that we're one in Christ. And Paul says, you despise the church of God. You humiliate those who have nothing. Because there was division. What does he ask then? Verse 22, the end of the verse. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? His answer is, certainly not. So he can praise him for this. 
because there was a serious situation going on. The bottom line is relationships. Relationships. As we will discuss next Sunday, when Paul talks about examining yourself, he's talking about examining yourself in terms of relationships. The context is not necessarily a failure to confess every sin that the Corinthians may have had, but it's a relational issue. The practice of the Corinthians was contrary to God's design. So some possible applications today, and we'll touch on this more next week. We have the educated and the less educated. So in a local church, the educated sit over here and the less educated sit over here. And woe be if they ever intermingle. See, God's design in the body of Christ is to break down educational barriers. And they function as one. So the person who never went to school is one with the person who has five doctorate degrees. Because Christ breaks down those barriers. Another is just the whole social status. You know, we have social status in the world today. Someone's from the wrong side of the tracks, so to speak. But you have the social status way up here and a social status way up or way down here. And Christ breaks down those social barriers because they're one in Christ. Christ becomes central. How about the tech savvy? And those that have no tech savvy whatsoever. So you say to some people, what do you know about technology? And they can ramble on for a long time and they can show you most anything under the sun. And then you can run into another person, maybe in the older end many times, saying, I don't have a computer and I don't plan to get a computer. I don't even know how to turn it on. Christ breaks down those barriers. So a highly tech-savvy person, and a no-tech-savvy person who just doesn't know anything whatsoever, able to communicate, able to celebrate the Lord's Supper together because they're one in Christ. How about the political view in our country today? We have some political things and so on going on currently in our nation The far left person and the far right person both profess Christ, Christ breaking down those barriers, and together they can celebrate the Lord's Supper. By the way, do some reading in Washington and see how many people that seem to be on the far left and on the far right both claim to be believers, but yet Christ breaks down that barrier. The Corinthians were not doing that. We may have an older and a younger. Many times we hear there's a generation gap. I'm not debating one way or the other. We have the older people. We have the younger people. But Christ breaks down that barrier. One, and they can celebrate the Lord's Supper together. How about the whole issue of race? God break, or Christ breaks down that barrier. You can have a black, you can have a white, you can have a Chinese, someone from India celebrating together at the Lord's table because Christ breaks down that barrier. 
How about the sports fanatic that knows everything about Penn State football there is to know or a basketball team or can play soccer real well? And the person that has no interest in sports whatsoever. Ohio State. What's Ohio State? (laughs) You know, some people know nothing. Thank you. But yet in Christ... That barrier being broken down. Paul is writing to church, the rich, the poor, the slaves, the non-slaves. He says, it's not the Lord's Supper. The issue was relational. Relational division. Lack of oneness in relationships. So the next time we have communion... Either the next Sunday or the following Sunday. The older people sat over here. The younger people sat here. And the middle-aged people sat here. And the older people look over there like... The younger people look... And the middle-aged think... <laughs> well, we have the sports fanatic sitting in the back. And those that are not sports fanatics sit in the front and they just don't intermingle. And we have the Lord's table. I think Paul would be saying the same thing. You know, there's applications. So Paul goes on in verses 23 through 26. He says, here's the received tradition. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. Paul received something from the Lord, and he has passed it on to the Corinthians in Acts, as well as he's writing here. said, the Lord Jesus, in the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. This is my body. which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He's reminding the Corinthians. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul writes to a church that is having struggles and difficulties. He prays God for them at the beginning of the book. But in grace and in love, he confronts a problem that they had. A problem that resulted in physical sickness and physical death. And Paul explains why that physical sickness and death took place. Because they were abusing what God designed. A slave, a slave owner, one in Christ. The rich, the poor, one in Christ. The haves, the have-nots, 
one in Christ. The sports fanatic and the non-sports fanatic, one in Christ. The black, the white, one in Christ. The old, the young, one in Christ. The educated, the not-so-educated, one in Christ. See, Christ breaks down barriers. And one of the joys in my heart was a number of years ago where someone came to me and said, Pastor, so-and-so is having some problems. And the person who came to me to say so-and-so is having some problems, well-educated. I would put in the category of having a lot of bucks. But they were concerned about the person who had no job, who didn't have hardly anything, could barely had two nickels to rub together. I said, let's help that person. And so a group of people got together of various ages, various income levels, various interests, and together helped that individual. Not with a bunch of handouts, but to help them develop in their life. And how good it is in light of the body of Christ to see an older person and a younger person sit together. To see a sports fanatic talking to a non-sports fanatic because they have a common bond in Christ and they talk about Christ or one another's lives. To see an educated person spending time with one that doesn't have so much education. And it's not that one is looking down at the other or one looking up to the other, but they're in the same plane because Christ breaks down those barriers. The Lord's Supper, a reminder of one in Christ. So next week, Lord willing, we'll pick up with verse 27 and discuss how they were sinning against the body and blood of Christ, why they should be judging themselves so that they could be displaying a genuine Lord's Supper. With those thoughts in mind, we want to sing together, reminding us that in Christ we're members of the body of Christ. Singing together. Travis? Travis?